Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. You know, as we kind of end the year, I just kind of want to thank all the volunteers that we have at Everyday Church. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot this week. There's a lot that goes into uh, a service this morning, and many of you guys may not realize uh, that we actually get here about two hours before the actual service each and every week to, to set up all the musical stuff, the chairs, and all the electronical equipment. So if you have served this year in any way, I just want to thank you. Um, I really appreciate it, whether it's on the, the media team, the host team, children's. I really do appreciate it. Even though I haven't been here long, I, I thank you for doing that. Uh, this year. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Before I get into the text, I I just want to uh, mention the title of this message. It's Jesus' Prayer for Himself. Jesus' Prayer for Himself. So what is the greatest prayer that you have ever heard? What made it so great? Was it the words that were spoken Was it the person that was speaking it? Was it the posture they had? What made it so great? This week, we're going to be looking at the greatest prayer ever prayed. It's the actual true Lord's Prayer. It's not like the one found in Matthew or Luke. This is the Lord actually praying to God the Father. It's interesting because we see all throughout Scripture Jesus praying in different instances, but we don't get to see often what he says. But this prayer kind of unlocks the relationship that the Father and Son have, and it's really beautiful. See, this prayer is often known as the high priestly prayer because what Christ was about to do. He was going to be the priest for all those who would come to believe. If you have your Bibles and you're in chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you had given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in the presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from the Father. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And I've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, and I am not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, and they are yours. All mine is yours, and all yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me. That they may come, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. 
I have guarded them, and not one of them had been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the, word ha- and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that I may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and they may be one, as even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the wor- world may know you sent me, and I love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire they also, that whom you have given me. May it be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made them known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What a powerful prayer. If you're taking notes today, I want you to see three truths. First one is Jesus' prayer is for glory. Jesus' prayer is for glory. Now, the chapter starts out by saying, when Jesus had spoken these words. Now, what words was he speaking? Well, you have to go back to John chapter 14 through 16 to understand what he had to say. And I want to just quickly outline what that is. In the previous chapters, he was saying that he was going to prepare a place for them. He told them that he was going to send them the Holy Spirit, that he was going to give them a counselor, and that counselor would be the third person of the Trinity. He tells them that they are going to face great trouble, and they would face persecution in their lives. However, he would remind them that despite the trouble that they may face, all this would turn into joy, because Jesus had overcome the world. Now, the last verse in chapter 16 sets up chapter 17 so well. It says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So these are the words that he said before he looked up to heaven. As he lifts his eyes up to heaven, we see something incredible. We see this action uh, from Jesus. Now, notice Jesus was surrounded by his disciples, but his focus was strictly on heaven. And the words that follow is so important for every Christian to hear and to understand. He says, Father, the hour has come. Now, he isn't referring to the certain time of day, like like I enjoy five o'clock when I get off at work, right? He was referring to the time that was coming when his death would occur. And this is similar to what it says in Galatians 4, 5, 4, 
verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born in a law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might have redemption, we might receive adoption as sons, just as there was an appointed time for Jesus' death, there was an appointed time for his birth. We just celebrated that in Christmas, right? Jesus was sent at the perfect time. And Christ was to die at just the right time. And notice what he focuses on in this text. Now, many of us have a fear of death, right? It's a true reality. I think COVID-19 and other things in this world has brought that reality to light, right? But instead of panicking, Jesus goes to God in prayer. And he recognizes that the fact that the hour has in fact come that he was going to die. That he was going to die. The climax of his perfect life that he has lived was about to happen. And the beauty of this is Jesus' death wouldn't be something that was in vain, would it? It accomplished something. And recognizing this, he directly speaks to the Father. And notice what he asks during this prayer. He focuses on two things. One, he says, glorify your son. And as a result, it's going to glorify the Father. See, these things are very important for each and every Christian to understand. And, and why is this? Well, if, if we miss the glory of God in salvation, we diminish the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the glory that God the Father gets to it. So we must understand what this actually means. So how does the Son get glory? Well, the Son ultimately gets glory through the cross. It's interesting, I think, that God would use the cross uh, for this event. Have any of you guys ever studied the cross and how it killed people? It was awful. It was one of the worst days to die, worst ways to die. They would often put the worst of the worst criminals on the cross because the cross was a form of punishment that didn't just last a few moments. It lasted hours upon hours. And when those people died, it would be because they suffocated. They ran out of strength to hold themselves up. And the bad thing about this was often they would live through this suffering and they would break the legs of those who did not die, causing them to collapse upon themselves. This death was an awful death. It was the worst possible death imagined. And our Savior died that death. It's incredible to think that God used such an instrument of shame and he turned it around and used it for glory. Only God can do things like that. See, the death of Jesus Christ actually brings glory to God. The Father is glorified in the death of Jesus Christ. And God's full display of glory is found on the cross. One commentator said it like this. How does the death of Jesus glorify the Father? The cross glorifies the Father because at the cross, God keeps his word. How does the cross, how does Jesus and the Father keep their word on the cross? Well, it's simple. They come, he came to punish sinners. Not he came to punish sinners. God must punish sinners. He must punish sinners because he is holy and righteous and perfect. 
Turn with me in your Bibles real quick to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. When you're there, say I'm there. Somebody there. There, okay. Romans 5, starting in verse 12. Don't miss this, it's so powerful. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all of sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned from one man, much more were those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many would be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the result of sin is death. In order to maintain the holiness of God, someone had to pay the price for that sin, right? Someone had to pay that price, and that someone was Jesus Christ. See, Christ's perfect life is the only thing that can satisfy the wrath of God and glorify the Father. Because God is holy and righteous, there is only one thing in this world that can purchase salvation for believers. That is faith in Jesus Christ because what he did through his life and on the cross. One commentator said it like this, Jesus does not satisfy the Father's wrath because he himself has violated the Father's holiness, but because his people have. Jesus places himself under God's displeasure against sin because he loves his people. Jesus does this not for himself, but for others. And the result of this glorifying the Father is found in verse 2. Don't miss what I'm about to say this morning. Every person on earth will be judged based on whether or not they had a personal relationship in Jesus Christ. Everyone. Even my daughter who's trying to crawl to me, she will one day be judged by Jesus Christ. See, he has all the authority. We don't have any authority to grant eternal life. And because of his death, we can have that eternal life. See, God doesn't get glory in your salvation if you're the one who is saving yourself. That's why Jesus had to come and die the way he did. And because he came and died the way he did, he has the authority to give salvation to all those who were given to him. Now listen to this. The beauty of the cross is that it didn't just make salvation possible. It saved all those throughout eternity 
that the Father had given Christ, every single one of them, not one drop of the Savior's blood was wasted. The brutal death of Christ that we just talked about purchased salvation for all believers for all time. Isn't that amazing? The one gracious act of Christ purchased salvation for believers throughout all time. See, Jesus Christ's prayer was for glory. A second truth, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus' prayer is that believers know about the one who gives eternal life. Jesus' prayer is about... Jesus' prayer is that believers know about the one who gives eternal life. Now, what does Jesus Christ want us to know about him? Well, the short answer is everything, right? He wants us to know everything about him. But this text implies a few things that he actually wants us to know. See, Jesus went to the cross so people would know God and have eternal life in him. I love what 1 John 5.20 says. It says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. See, eternal life is found in no one else other than Jesus Christ. The work of the cross broke the barrier that we had between God. And Christ is praying for believers in this text that they would actually know that truth. That's amazing. For those who are believers in this room, he was praying for you in that moment. It's incredible to think about. And and this knowing him is not just um, a basic, hey, I know God. It's having a personal relationship with him. The Greek word actually implies to know as an intimate relationship with God. See, anyone can know about God, right? Anyone can study the Bible. Anyone can study theology. But only believers really know God, right? You've talked to unbelievers, and they just don't get it, right? They just don't understand what it means to be radically changed by God. You cannot really face God and see and not see a radical change in your life. And that looks different for everyone, For me, it's been a slow fade to look more like Christ, but for others, it's a highway change. You see this all throughout Scripture, too. You see it in the disciples. They begin to be more and more like Christ, so much so that they would give their lives for him. No one is truly the same once they've encountered the real risen king, right? No one is the same. And this change comes from the relationship that is built on nothing less than the work of Jesus Christ. It's not anything that you do in order to become more like Christ. It's all based on his work. It's a result of it. Just a few minutes ago, we emphasized the glory that Christ had been given. And that was a result of the work that he did here on earth. See, I mentioned the cross as an act of, of glory, but that wasn't the only thing that glorified Christ on earth. It was the climax to the story. But see, Christ had total obedience to the Father in everything. Christ obeyed every single law in the Bible. 
Christ did everything that Adam could not do. He did everything that you and I could not do. Christ did not have one sin against God. And you know this is so important, that he didn't sin once against God? And why is this? Well, because we could not save if he did. We could not be saved. Christ obeyed every single law in the Bible. It's crazy. There's over 600 laws in the Bible, and he did not break one of them. He obeyed all the moral standards that God asked of him, all the civil manners. He performed every religious ceremony perfectly. Not only did he do those things perfectly, but he actually went to the cross. See, every good act of Christ on earth would not have mattered if he did not live a perfect life. Right? We can learn much about his teaching, his miracles, and everything that he'd done, but if he did not go to the cross, none of us in this room could be saved. None of you listening online could be saved. See, verse 4 includes everything he has done and will ever do. This includes the death, the resurrection, and the exaltation. See, God wasn't just glorified in one singular act. He was glorified by everything that Jesus Christ had ever done. And the best thing about this is Christ did it all for the glory of God and for us as believers. Every time God was faithful, he had you and I in mind. And we see that in this beautiful prayer. And in the book of John, it shows us many of these good works and the purpose behind of it. Look at John 4, 34. If you're taking notes, jot that down. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Another one is John 5, 36. It said, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the work that the Father had given me to do, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Another powerful verse is John 19.30. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, Jesus Christ did everything possible to glorify God on earth. He did everything the Father asked him to do. While Jesus' prayer was for glory, he was also praying for all believers that they would know him in a personal way. A third truth you should write down this morning is Jesus' prayer is that he would share in all the glory he had with the Father for all eternity again. Jesus' prayer is that he would share in the glory he had with the Father for all eternity again. In this beautiful prayer, Jesus is praying that he wants to return to the Father. You know, it's pretty amazing to think about it. Jesus Christ was always with God prior to the incarnation, forever. He existed throughout all eternity before he came to earth. Now, the incarnation changed that. He became God both in the flesh and God in the spirit, 100% man and 100% God. Theologically, that's known as the hypostatic union. And when he died, he didn't just go back to heaven as a spirit. He is there now, 
100% man, 100% God in a glorified body that we will receive one day because he lived that life that we couldn't. That's incredible. The mission was accomplished. And this is so different from every other religion in the world, right? I heard it said this week that many religions are just trying to get to the top of the mountain, trying to do the next right thing. I don't know if you've ever climbed a mountain before thinking you were almost at the top, but I have. I climbed a mountain in Calgary with some friends on a mission trip, and and I thought I was almost to the top, and then I seen that the mountain was still really far, and I was out of breath. I thought I did everything I could do. And many people are trying to do that in their life today. They're trying to climb the mountain thinking they can get to God. Other religions are like that. Do this, do that, do that in order to be saved. Christianity isn't like that. It's like God coming from the top of the mountain that we can never get to, and he came down to earth. What a timely message for right after Christmas, right? We just celebrated his birth. Now we can celebrate his death. These first five verses show us so much about Christianity. They give us so much insight to the relationship of the Father and the Son, the work that the Son did on earth, and what that accomplished. See, we see eternal life is only in the Son, and we see that the glory of God in salvation and in the heavenly places. See, the beauty of this section of prayer is we finally see that salvation doesn't involve any of us. It all belongs to the Lord, the whole salvation process. See, it's his work. It's his authority. It's his life. And it's his glory. But if that's the case, what are we to do then? Every text we read in the Bible deserves a response from the people of God. And this one demands that we believe. Listen to the words in John 20, starting in verse 30. It said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, we are to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is what our response should be. And I couldn't think of anything better if there is someone in this room or someone listening online or later on that the Lord would call them from death to life. That's what I hope will happen to my little cute girl over there one day. That God would so overwhelm them by his grace that they would cause sinners to repent that they would cause people who were proud to fall on their knees and say, God, it is you who grants salvation. I can't do anything. God, my response, I can't do anything anymore. What am I to do? You're to repent of your sins, trust in Christ, truly trust in him. Enter into a relationship by putting away the old life and turning to Christ for salvation. Put it all down at the foot of the cross today. What a great way to end the year. All right, if you're not a believer, to put your sins away and give them all to God. 
But if you are a believer, this message is also for you. It's twofold, though. One, you must continue to believe. You must continue to trust in God for salvation in all his promises. See, this has been a tough year, hasn't it? It's been one of the toughest years of my life. Life's not normal. I've had friends that have walked away from church, right? Family. I've had people I know die. But I must continue to trust that the Lord will accomplish all his work, right? I must do that. And he will. He will accomplish all his work. If you've lost your sense of hope, find it today in Christ again. Trust in all the promises that he has given us, especially in this chapter here. Also, he is calling us to be obedient. Do you know when Christ saves you, he actually calls you to be obedient to him? All right, we, we live in, in a world where it's like, well, I can do whatever I want and still claim Christ. That's not why he died. John Piper says it like this, Christ died so you could be obedient to the scriptures. See, what happens when we are saved is God gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the new heart, the new ability to be able to follow him perfectly. And why we're not perfect, that's hence why Jesus had to come, we can live an upright life for him. So what is God calling you to do today? Is he calling you into a relationship with him? Is he calling you to repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation? Is he calling you to renewed hope in him? That despite whatever has happened this year, despite what has happened in your life, that you would continue to trust everything he has for your life? Are you not being obedient in a certain way? Remember, Christ was obedient in every possible way, making salvation possible for us. What will you do today? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I pray that if even one person is impacted uh, by this message, God, that it's done for your glory. God, stir our hearts and affections towards you. Let us be reminded of the work on the cross, reminded that you are praying for us, not only in this text today, but now, that you're interceding for us, that despite what's going on in this world, we can have faith and hope in you. God, cause us to move in only a way that you can. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.